This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for October 18, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the pharma industry's purpose, process and people, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Our guest today is Paul Petrelli, General Manager of Jazz Pharmaceuticals in Mississauga, Ontario. Paul will speak with your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon. We're coming to you again from our podcast, Gondola, high above Pill Hill, where the view is clear and we never miss a thing. Coincidentally, I just learned that the family name of my co-host, Mr. Mark McElwain, is derived from an old Gaelic expression that translates as, he who never misses a thing. Mark is, of course, the consultant and health policy expert, and not missing a thing has served you well in your work. Would you not agree, Mark? Thanks, Mitch. You know, I always thought that for those who carry my last name, it acts like a bit of a Celtic curse. You know, being forced to spend half my life either spelling or pronouncing the blasted surname. But I am glad not to have missed any one of these podcasts. I guess I've been partly lucky as some of the reschedulings has helped me a bit. Fair point. Someone else who only on rare occasions misses a thing is our co-host James Shea, the general manager for the Council of Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. As it happens, Jim's college nickname was Kitty Bar the Door, which could refer to his resoluteness or else something we don't need to hear about. Jim, can you offer our listeners some tips on not letting anything get past you? Well, well, that's it. You know, we're up in the gondola. We're about to start the season here, and I, I really want to clarify. There must have been a typo somewhere because I'm not adopting. I'm adapting. I, I'm adapting a style, you know, implemented really between the pipes of the Maple Leafs probably tonight uh, and taking their wounded butterfly style and adapting it to more of the stray cocaine cat goalie style. So, you know, way less gets by me now, especially when you get bar down dingers in the uh, in the junk uh, folder. So, you know, that's why things aren't getting past me now. I was never sure if it was Kitty Bar the Door or Katie Bar the Door. I've heard it both ways. But uh, we are your podcast hosts, known to you as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the creative brand names have been snapped up, such as Neuralink, Focus Factor, and Jazz Pharmaceuticals. So let's welcome to the gondola for a return visit our old podcast pal, the general manager of Jazz Pharmaceuticals, Paul Petrelli. Step into the gondola, Paul. Thank you very much. It's very spacious in here. This is wonderful. And you are right. The view is great. And I think referring to where Jim is, it is that time of year now where, as Leaf fans, we again clash on to that hope and aspiration of one day making the finals and getting the Stanley Cup and hoisting it only to be dashed probably in about six months from now. But, you know, we're like goldfish, right? We go around in a circle. Again, I want to clarify. I want to clarify. I'm a Habs fan, and I've already written off the season. So you know, uh, I feel bad for you. 
All right. Return to the world of pharma. We can start by mentioning that Paul's going to be speaking at the 17th National Pharma Congress on November 22nd in Mississauga. Paul, can you share your expectations and goals for this prestigious event? Yeah, 100%. Look, I, I've been doing it for a few years now. I love the opportunity and being invited to the stage and being able to discuss. I think it's it's a great opportunity for us as an industry to come together, even coming out of COVID. And I know we still say that, although we shouldn't be reflecting on it as much anymore because we are on the other side of it, I hope, knock on wood. It's great to bring all of our colleagues together and basically just check in and talk a little bit about sort of some of the things that are pressing in the pharma industry, both from a industry, both from a market and also just from a leadership perspective, which is where I think the topic that I've been tasked to discuss as along with my colleagues, and we're going to be doing something different as a panel discussion, more than just sort of the eight minute sort of rolling talk, is really focusing on managing and leading in that generational gap or workplace, right? Where obviously with the transition and where we're at now, way back in the day, I think when I started my career, there was one generation, and I'm not saying I'm, I was it, I'd have to say I'm probably version two. But now if you look at it as a leader, You've got like four generational groups that you've got to think about as you start looking at your organization, motivating, recruiting, and retaining. So I think it's going to be a really cool talk just to get a really good sense of where people are at. I have to say I concur with you on the description of the event because certainly it's the best event that I attend. So And and that title did stick out for me right there, managing, motivating, you know, the, the generations. So so why don't we uh, ask you a little bit of a hint to what you're going to talk about. You know, how do you see the pharmaceutical industry adapting to the generational differences uh, in its workforce? And, you know, what are the implications that you see for talent management now and in the future? Yeah. So, you know, uh, being in the industry for as long as I had, I'd always like to say that we think we're first and we've invented it. But then really all we're doing is following along. But I think in this case here, it's affecting all industries, right? And we're going to be focusing on is, is really you can look at it in three different ways, right? So think back to the day when we were all leading probably 20 years ago, situational leadership was a very different thing, right? It was about the experience, new people versus more experienced people. You're looking at the direct and delegate. And I think that situational leadership now changes a lot more in terms of, look, how do you engage, retain and even develop sort of your boomers versus sort of the Gen Xers, the Gen Ys, right? Those two, that same principle applies in two other ways as well. Like when you think about organizational design and strategy, right? How are those going to be coming into play when you're sort of recruiting people, looking at skills before it was heavy on skills, right? I need folks that are going to come in as mercenaries to help me launch a brand. How much of it now is more competency, right? And really looking at, hey, attitude versus experience kind of thing. And where culture, I think, starts to come, it's always been important, right? But I think as the generations have started to come on, that comes as a more keystone for joining organizations, really, than it is in terms of, well, talking about your pipeline and what brands do you have and how much revenue do you generate, which are all very important things. But you know what I mean? I think the motivators are different. And then I think, lastly, when you like, even just think about corporate uh, responsibility and reputation, it's huge. It's huge. I remember... Telling Joe not years ago, my biggest learning was I remember sitting across the table from an employee that we brought into my previous company, and I used to meet every new person. And I did a wonderful job at talking about, hey, we generate X millions of revenue and we've got this many products in our pipeline and we've got this much market share. 
And you know when you stare across the table and you look at them and you just see, okay, lights are on, but nobody's home. And this person was really smart and we had hired them. So I finally asked, I'm like, hey, is this landing with you? Like, is there anything I'm missing? And great for this person basically went, look, that's all cool. But what I want to understand is, is what's your corporate responsibility? What's your, what's your footprint like in terms of how are you helping the community? Where are you on mental health and all these different things? Total miss from sort of where I was thinking to where that is. And it was a great reminder for me that some of the motivators are different in terms of the generation. So it, I think that talk at the MPC is going to be great in terms of just reminding us that we have to be mindful of the different generations. Yeah, absolutely. I was a baby boomer being hired by a bunch of baby boomers. And really, I was managed by baby boomers, you know, for a long, long time. So uh, you're, you're right at this, uh, you know, monolith type of people just boom, all pretty much the same. So I, I find it exciting. I find it very exciting. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be there. Yeah, cool. And challenging, right? Like it's, I think it's one of our ch biggest challenges as well, because I know what I can do and I know how I do what I do, but it might not work for somebody else. So it's just that adaptability is going to be critical now as we think forward. Absolutely. You know, I joined Merck. Why? I targeted Merck because they were Fortunes or Forbes most admired company for the fifth or seventh year in a row. And I was looking at, you know, medicines for the people, as long as we remember that, that the profits had come and that, that struck me. So, you know, that I was going for culture there and certainly people now are going super focused on culture. You know, I got kids that are looking in the marketplace and they're asking those questions that I never would have asked. So yeah, I, I get it. Paul, it's Mark. So let's talk about leadership. How do you view the role of leadership in shaping the future of the pharma industry? And what leadership qualities do you feel are the most important? Oh, wow. So again, that's a bit of an evolution as well, to be honest with you. And I, I don't know whether it's a cause and effect in terms of who we're leading and how we're leading. But I think if you think back to some of the key principles back in the day of around the command and control mindset, right, where it was like you had to be that strong subject matter expert that came in and said, follow me, guys, we're going to go over the parapet and we're going to win the next ground kind of thing. Where I think that's changed now, and I think for all the right reasons, is it is more of that helping inspire people, empower people, create vision, communicate vision, bring people along. This whole idea of being vulnerable as a leader is relatively new, I think, for a lot. And again, think back to like the old day, and I hate to say it, is where it was you would never as a leader want to stand up in front of your room and go, I don't have an answer to this, or I don't know, guys. Like, really, you just think, oh, my God, I'm a terrible leader, right? Now you're like, hey, guys, I don't know. I haven't created everything. Let's figure it out. We're going to go figure it out. And that, by nature of doing that, becomes inspirational, and it aligns people, and it creates challenges. So I think that evolution's there. I think a lot of the good leaders do get it and can do it. I'll be honest, being, again, in the industry for I am, there are certain areas where you got to remind yourself it's okay to be that way. And it actually responds well. Totally, totally. And I think, again, going back to the generational gaps, and not to keep on getting to that topic, but it responds well to when you think about like your Gen Ys and your Gen Zs, right? Because they see this as, hey, this is cool. Like he's a great guy to work with. He gets it. He's, again, not that I think the loudest voice in the room. It's like he wants my input and needs my support. And those are all great inspirational opportunities. Yep, Paul. So I'm going to ask one of those newer questions, I guess, about how you, Jazz Canada or Jazz International, approach sustainability and environmental responsibility in your operations. 
Yeah, that's a big one for us. And it's actually, there's four pillars, I'd have to say, that are the underpinning of when we think about social impact, sustainability, and environmental responsibility. Right? And, and when we look at our four pillars, we consider them through our patients, through our people, through our community, and through the planet. And really quickly, I can walk you through all of them. But when we think about our patients, it's everything from, hey, we work with the regulatory agencies to find ways where we can expedite new therapies to patients in a timely manner so that obviously we create options. Because one of Jazz's big remits is, is that we do work in spaces where there's limited or no options in terms of disease types and therapeutic areas, right? I think also from a patient point of view, like we're on the forefront of a lot of the work that we do in terms of patient access programs, creating financial assistance programs, name patient sales and all that, again, in support of helping patients and recognizing where they're at. I think the two big ones that are really I'm proud of as a company is one is we work with, with patient groups and collaborating with them in terms of helping us identify the best way to communicate, whether it's what it's like to have a disease, what's the best way to communicate information. Because again, all too often as pharma, we're kennel blind, right? Like we'll sit within this group and basically go, we know what it's like at the end of the day, I'm not that patient. So it's wonderful when we connect with those folks. If we think about our people, we do a lot of work in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging within that group. We have very clear milestones and governance in terms of what those numbers need to look like from an executive team, leadership team, in terms of diversity and inclusion within our groups. We're obviously survey our organization on a constant basis to check the pulse. Look, I even so much as every quarter, I try and meet with at least everybody in my organization so that A, they have access to me and B, I can get feedback in terms of where they are. And then I think the last two, when we think of community, we're strong in volunteerism. We spend a lot of time in working with the community. We have like Global Volunteer Day, for example. We spend a lot of time in mentoring. And then also the other part is, is we invest heavily in universities and colleges around internship programs and helping folks, whether it's the science to business program in Canada, helping sort of students who want to think about a career in healthcare find their way and, and spending time on that, whether it's just volunteering our personal time. And then on the planet side and sort of the environmental side as well, like everything from we have sites in Athlone and Villa Guardia. Athlone's being in Ireland, Villa Guardia in Italy, right? And the goal there is for us to use renewable electricity. And happy to say that in Athlone, 100% renewable energy and renewable electricity. And our Villa Guardia currently is about 50% moving in the right direction in terms of being able to increase that even more. And then we've even done like the smaller things, right? Which I think are, again, are the day to day. Everything from like getting rid of water bottles in the office to people got to bring in their own bottles to like even simple things like changing our lights to LEDs, which obviously have a le less of a remit. We constantly look at our carbon footprint in terms of cars. And then lastly, e even travel. And I know often travel comes up as that whole, you're doing it just to save money. But we also look at it to say, look, the carbon footprint around that, is there a better way? We learned through COVID, we can work through virtual we don't always have to be there. So the offset of that is positive. We can have a few more uh, virtual meetings versus physical and having folks flying around the universe. Mm. Well, we're listening to the smooth jazz stylings of Paul Petrelli, the GM of Jazz Pharmaceuticals here on the NPC podcast. So picking up on your last comment, Paul, since COVID, uh, every organization has made some operational changes. Some of them pertain to the generation shift, which you've discussed. And technology is certainly another piece of the whole thing. Curious to hear some examples of how the company's approach has evolved, especially concerning areas such as 
well, detailing and uh, regulatory to name too. So there's a couple of things that we've done coming out of COVID. And actually, I think it is a bit of the special sauce for us at Jazz. One, we've still embraced and adopted a virtual and flexible working environment. I know where a lot of my colleagues are, and companies are still mandating sort of you got to be in the office two to three days a week. We haven't gotten there yet. And frankly, in our recruiting, we found that's an asset. I think folks love it. It's, again, i.e. go back to generational. When you think about certain generational groups, they really love the idea of that flexibility being able to work from home, right? So that's a big one that I think we've adopted and we've pulled through on. As well, like I said before, even just travel, we've sort of cut down on a lot of that and use virtual as best as we can. Interestingly, what's taught us coming out of COVID as well, when we talk about regulatory, for example, is it's created great opportunities for us to continue to have more consistent dialogue with our regulatory partners and even payer partners. Because rather than having to sort of saddle up the horse and ride out to Ottawa and sit with them face to face, we find now there's a lot more propensity to be able to get on the phone with them every so often and just chat on a regular basis, which allows us to input more and get more feedback from them as we progress files. Paul, it's Mark. So the pharma industry often faces criticism or debate regarding the affordability and accessibility of medications. I wonder if you can share Jazz's strategies for balancing the need for recovering your costs with the goal of ensuring patients have access to the treatments that are life-changing. Yeah, that's a great question and a tough question, right? Because I always say it it depends on and it's relative to perspective. Like I, I think as a company, we do very much as we can in terms of being able to help promote patients' access to therapies as best as possible, right? Whether it's name, patient supply, whether it's early access program, whether it's what we have is, is a very fulsome non-commercial supply program, et cetera. I think in Canada, when I think about the last five years, I think we've probably supported patients within our therapeutic areas to the tune of about $19 million. So we step up where we need to, recognizing where people are in terms of demographics and obviously where they are in terms of ability to pay, layer on top of that financial assistance, et cetera. I think what's important when we think about the pricing question in pharma is, as I said, it's perspective, right? If you think about what it takes to bring a product to market, when you think about the clinical activity responsible, et cetera, the failure rates and et cetera, like R&D has got to be supported by something. And it's got to be supported by obviously a lot of the revenue that's being generated in our current products as well. Without that, we wouldn't be able to develop innovative new products in disease areas where nothing is available and, and there's a high unmet need. So it is a, a bit of a circle that we got to consider when we look at it versus just taking out sort of a piece of that pie and saying, well, product X is worth Y. Why is it worth that kind of thing? Okay. So as we wind down our podcast, we're inviting you to play our word association game. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words. So. Uh Oh, okay. I hate this game because it usually gets me into trouble because I usually use words I'm not supposed to in a public domain. Uh, That's why we do it. So are you ready? Sure. Okay. Leadership. Vulnerability. Equity. Fulfillment. Innovation. Essential. Healthcare marketing. Expanding. Affordability. Relative. And sustainability. 
critical, mission critical. Nice, nice. You mentioned the, uh, you know, that we've increased the size of the gondola up here, really updated it. And you'll see on the tote board that uh, we've given you a, a bazillion points for that because those are uh, what we consider to be an amazing answer. So thank you for that. Not that I'm competitive, but I want to know how many points everybody else got on this podcast. <laughs> we never give the same words and response situations, so it's really difficult. There's no you know, controlled trial going on here, but uh, yeah, you're, of course, you always want to be in the top 5% on YAR. 100%, because I couldn't do that when I was in university, so I might as well try and do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so should we, we'll bell curve you. Yeah, you're, you're great. How's that? <laughs> you passed. <laughs> you passed. Move on. <laughs> it's the story of my life. That's right, and a trophy. So, so I guess finally now after that great performance, it's time to put on your soothsayer's hat, mosey over to our new prognostication corner. Look at this beauty, and you'll notice that the sign's corner spelt with a K because K is, quite frankly, just cooler than C. And I don't know if the audience can hear it, but it's, uh, you know, I am pronouncing cooler with, uh, with a K. So uh, here we go. What bold predictions can you make about the health science and life science industry during the upcoming 12 to 24 months? And quite frankly, if your soothsayer's hat is very finely tuned today, then you might even be able to go more than 24 months out. So let's hear. And this is based, very aspirational, to be honest with you. If I think about it from an industry hat point of view, my soothsayer's ideas is I'd love to see both government and industry come together and to be able to fix both the time to patient for therapies and equity for patients across the country. For me, I think that's going to be mission critical. So if I were to, the, the big BHAG, I think, as they always say in sort of the Harvard Business Review things, is to say that we come to a point where PMPRB, CADF, PCPA, and industry all come together and come up with some sort of a proposition that just, again, expedites access for patients to new therapies. Right. Exactly. Where everybody actually wins on this one. Totally. That's great. Well, Paul, thanks for returning to spend some time with us in the gondola. We're definitely looking forward to seeing you in person on November 22nd at the NPC in Mississauga. You've always got something thoughtful and provocative to lob at the delegates. I can't wait to see what you bring. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Mark. Just one thing about the gondola. You may need to get rid of the shag carpet and put in hardwood floors. Apparently, that's the way everyone's going now. We got to have history, and there's a lot of history in this, whatever it is. Well, at least take it off the walls then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that ties the whole room together, the shag carpet. We got that from the set of The Big Lebowski, but... All right. So to all of you out there in uh, NPC podcast land, thanks for listening. We'll speak with you again next week. If you've got questions about today's episode, please send an email to health at chronicle.org. We always want to know what you think about our discussions. Send us your comment as a voice clip attachment and land a Goshen. You might just become part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it rate it, recommend it, and make a point of sharing it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or, to keep things simple, just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music or TuneIn Radio. 
The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. This is your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, with help from Cristela Tello Ruiz. Research for this program came from Alan Ryan. The musical theme is performed with restrained zeal by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of Maestro Carla Blay Milbrook. We'll be back to speak with you again next week.